Hey folks, Chris and Rich here. And before we get started with today's program, just want to talk to you about Podbean, the folks that we host through. Podbean is a podcast hosting site that we use. And if you're thinking about starting your own podcast or you're looking for the best home for your podcast, then I want to encourage you to check out all the amazing features that Podbean offers. It has unlimited unlimited bandwidth and storage for an affordable price. That's right, unlimited. So if you want to do this, we want to encourage you to go check out podbean.com slash VOR radio and get it checked out today. Again, that's podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com slash V-O-R-R-A-D-I-O. Thanks for checking it out. I think you'll be really impressed with all the tools and features that they have. We We have been with them for seven years. So go check it out, and I think you'll be really impressed. And now we'll start with the show. Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this 18th of February, 2023. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for being patient with us for last week. We had intended to record last Saturday. That went a little wonky. We pushed it up to Monday. That went wonky. (laughs) And so now here we are a week later. We try not to let that happen. It does happen once in a while. We are very grateful for you guys when that does happen. So please, uh, you know, continue to be patient with us. Continue to tune in. We will do as as best as we're able to to con- continue to pu- put out a consistent program for you. If you are new to us, want to welcome you first and foremost to the show. We are part of the Christian Podcast Community, which is a conglomeration of Christian podcasts of like-minded brethren, solid theology, coming together to support the preaching of the gospel and using a variety of podcasts to do so. You will always find something great at the Christian Podcast Community. also want to... uh, Remind you that while podcasts are a useful tool and can be tertiary to your growth as a Christian, they should not be the main source of your uh, your spiritual education. You need to be part of a local church, so be planted in a local church, grow under your elders, work together with your brethren, do the one another's, and worship Christ as a body. But when you do that and you're growing, and you're going out, and you're serving, we hope that we can be some sort of help along the way. We're not, we can never supplant that, nor would we ever want to, but we sure hope we can help you and edify you in some way. Our goal here at Voice of Reason Radio is to be twofold. Number one, to glorify God in all that we do. If we don't glorify Him, then anything we accomplish is meaningless, and hopefully secondarily edify the saints and build them up in some way. To that end, we do have a website, uh, slavetothekeen.com. We encourage you to go be part of that. It does seem we've picked up a a lot of followers via Twitter today. Um, We'll get to that in a minute. And uh, if you are new to the show and you're just tuning in because you happen to see it get shared on on, on my Twitter account today, by the way, it's not just me. You may be following me, but you're also following my buddy Rich because... Voice of Reason Radio is a two-host program. We're not co-hosts. We both host. And um, you're going to be getting a lot from both of us, and we hope that we benefit you in some way. But if you're new, we want you to go to slavetotheking.com, get signed up as a follower on the website. Number one, that's where you're going to learn about new show releases. That's when you're going to know if there's new articles. Like, it was... That thing may probably would have been better as an article on the website. I just posted it on Twitter and it caught like wildfire. Again, we'll get to that in a minute. 
and a bunch of you jumped on and started following. Well, if you like that kind of content, you're going to find some of that at slavetotheking.com. So please go check it out. So we are grateful to have you. Thank you for joining us. And for those of you that have been part of the family for the last almost seven years now, thank you again for being part of our family. Thank you for sharing the show and supporting us. And some of you have been so really gracious reaching out and contacting us. In fact, we even had a recent comment that came in uh, through Podbean. It was one of our more recent programs. It was uh, on the destructions of words is a beautiful thing. Uh, the, the person responding and you have to apologize i have to apologize because it doesn't give me the name but it does the person writes it is so easy to hide the truth with things going on in the world today you guys bring the hidden mes messages to the forefront thank you that is so very generous so very kind you humble us so much and so many of you have been starting to comment on your various apps of choice or on the website or uh, some other means Thank you for doing that. Not because it strokes our ego in any way, but it's it's good to know that we are helping and being beneficial in some way. Of course, if you had a negative comment, we're happy to hear about it too, but just be in context. Be uh, bringing your scriptures you know, in totality. Don't cherry pick. And if you're going to be like the atheist today that was just being snide and snarky and you know, dropping some, you know, in some cases, some other guys dropping foul language, don't expect us to respond. We're not going to, we're not going to be an antagonized into an argument to give you a platform. But beyond that, if you have even concerns or questions, we always love to hear from you. So with all that said, let's get into today's program. Before we do that, Rich, how are you doing this week, brother? Well, as always, brother, I'm better than I deserve. And obviously this week, I'm really better than I deserve <laughs> seeing how there are quite a few people out there that seem to consider me a gospel snob. Um, <laughs> that was one of the one of the many things I was called this week. Um, Chris, you wrote about the Asbury revival today and posted it on Twitter. I had been posting about it earlier in the week, and I've, I've kind of already did my round with all this and had the weird comments and name slinging and everything else. You, you walked into it about a hundred times greater today, <laughs> but um, obviously since I questioned what was going on in Asbury, um, I'm a gospel snob for one, I guess, because I was encouraging people to focus on the narrow way and abandon the broader way. And I was making some clear cut distinctions about what the, gospel of Jesus Christ actually proclaims versus what it does not proclaim. And since I denied what was going on in Asbury as a true work of God, I am obviously demon-possessed. <laughs> I'm one of those mean, mean, hateful, Calvinistic types that, that, you know, we despise the grace and mercy and love of Christ, and all we want to talk about is sin and God's wrath, um, in which I replied and tried to articulate that without understanding God's wrath and God's definition of sin, we cannot truly embrace, understand, or actually love the grace, mercy, and love of Christ himself, Amen. because when we are saved, we are saved to the whole. You know, people love Jesus as Savior, but they despise Christ as Lord over their hearts, Lord over their lives, over their thoughts, over their emotions, and over their sins. And sadly, especially in today's world, people do not understand the concept that when Christ saves us, and I've started using this term 
because people don't like the term lordship salvation. I use the term hardship salvation. When Christ truly saves someone, he gives us a new heart. He gives us new hopes, new desires, new loves. And part of that is growing to love what Christ loves more and growing to hate what Christ hates more. And without that hardship, without that transformation of the heart, without that heart being changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, we're not truly saved. We may have Bible knowledge in our head, and we may go through the motions, but without that transformation of life, we are not truly saved in Christ. And sadly, among professing Christians, these are hateful words today that, you know, if we're not just glowing and ooing and aahing over the love of Christ and, you know, the outpouring of emotions, you know, we're not true Christians. And um, I'm like you, I got called Pharisee, Mm -hmm. you know, whitewashed tomb, so many other typical things, you know, fundamentalist, you know, we're, we're, we're suppressing the Holy Spirit as if we actually could suppress the Holy Spirit if we tried. <laughs> um, sadly, they misunderstand the biblical context of grieving the Holy Spirit versus being able to stop any true movement of God in a person's life. Yep. That may be a good show for some time down the road, what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. But um, that's kind of where my week's been. Um, what were some of the things you were <laughs> colorfully called today? Well, let's see. Uh, I think I was called arrogant, prideful. I was referred to as an intellectual, in quotes, not as a compliment of kind of like, well, you intellectual types, well, you know, um, a Pharisee. That, that was a, that was a common one. V- brood of vipers. I was I was part of the brood of vipers. I've been, I was called that. I was accused of having a religious spirit which quenches revival. I was referred to as a whitewashed tomb, and I was told to beware of the unpardonable sin, you know, that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That part was all in the same comment. I was told that I denies people as, deny people's experiences. I was told that art has always been used to tell the gospel, so how dare you? Uh, and that I'm not giving permission for God to move in his own way. I thought that was interesting. Uh, I, you know, I think the response was something to the effect of, well, I will give God permission to move his way the way he chooses, something to that effect. And that I'm ignoring the book of Acts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. I think we had some of the same people commenting on both of our postings. Um, I have to say, though, out of who, and I don't remember the user that, first termed gospel snob, but it popped up two or three times. I have to say that was one of the more unique insults I've ever received. I I rather enjoyed it. I changed my username to it for a while and pinned a post a little bit about it, but um, I have to confess, I found that one, I took it as a compliment, actually. Um, (laughs) And, you know, people talk about that we need to quit stepping on toes in this country and that, you know, we need to let everyone worship the way they want. The sad thing is, that's not exactly what the Bible teaches, and in preparing for tonight's episode, I had found a scripture verse that I thought was really good, and then one of our followers posted the exact same verse, so I thought, you know, I don't want to be accused of not giving the Lord permission to do anything. So since, <laughs> since there are no co- you know, no such thing as coincidences, I wanted to make sure I read this verse. And the user that posted it was on Twitter. It is at redeemed rags. So Debbie, I, I'm quoting oh, yes. you tonight. 
I'm quoting you tonight and and giving you a shout out. We love Debbie. And I just I just thought it was interesting that she had posted a verse and it had already jumped out at me. And it's from First John chapter four, verses one through two. And I think this sets the tone for tonight's conversation. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Um, I love that verse. Sadly, the second portion of that verse is more times than not misunderstood, misapplied, and misinterpreted. But, um, Debbie, thank you for posting that, and I wanted to make sure to give you a shout-out because... The, that really is kind of the foundation of tonight's discussion is testing the spirits. And what does the Bible mean by testing spirits? Well, we test what is being preached. We test what is being proclaimed. And we preach what is actually being done and, and how worship services are being conducted. And we test all of that against the Word of God himself because God's Word is the standard of all things in a Christian's life, whether it be how we live, how we pray, how we read the Bible, how we conduct worship service, how we conduct church, and how we conduct our families. So everything is summed up in that. But sadly, the Word of God is not enough for some people because they seem to think that we can live a life as a Christian without having the Bible at all in our lives. Is that not true, Chris? Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, and, and we'll get to what I wrote here in just a little bit, but I want to start with, this is actually what originally uh, got us talking about this discussion about the Word of God and the foundation as our uh, for our Christian walk. It is the final authority on all that we say and do in our Christian faith. It started with an individual on Twitter, amazingly, on Twitter, um, by the name of Tim Amore. Now, I don't really know Tim. Somehow, I'm in a, in a tw- Twitter thread in which I was trying to figure out what was said, and I realized I was blocked by Mr. Amore, and I had to go through uh, our VOR account and look it up that way. Um, I found what they were referring to, and what it was is that Mr. Amore says, I do not follow the Bible. I am not a Bibleian. I am a follow. I follow Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian, and we are only as Christian as we follow His commands and example. Yeah, how we love or do not love will tell the truth about who we who we're really following and what we really believe. Now that was a very interesting post. I we alluded to it in one of our, our in, I think it was our last episode, and. The reason that that stood out is I, I went and looked at a, many of the things that Mr. Amore posted. Mr. Amore makes it very clear that he believes that the, uh, the doctrine of bi- uh, biblical inerrancy is, is false. He doesn't believe that the Bible, the scriptures, are the word of God. He makes it very, very clear in, in a variety of his posts and responses to uh, people who challenged him on this that the... Uh, that the Word of God is Jesus. John 1 makes that clear. The Word of God is Jesus. So they, therefore, anything that refers to the Word of God is always referring to Jesus. So therefore, if you talk about the Word of God as Scripture, you've elevated Scripture to, to the level of God, and therefore you're blaspheming. 
And so people asked him questions like, well, then how do you know what to do? How do you, you know, you talk about being obedient to, the, to, to Jesus, following Jesus. How do you know you're doing that? And one of his responses was to simply post some emojis, a little couple of little fire symbols and a dove, usually meaning the Holy Spirit. Um, and he says, you know, he believes in, you know, the, you know, uh, you know, we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And we are supposed to, uh, to do all those things that, um, that are consummate with that. And if you spend time on his Twitter page, there's a lot of, look, the guy could be a really good Washington politician. He does know how to two-step. Uh, let's just put it that way. But he dances around a lot of those questions by saying that he, he, he reads the Bible. He teaches from the Bible, but the Bible is not the Word of God, and it is not inerrant. It's uh, that's a false doctrine, and that basically it's it's doing justice, it's feeding the poor, loving loving your neighbor, those kind of things. So a lot of social justice minded, social good minded uh, type of thinking, which we have seen with a lot of progressivist leftist politics and progressivist leftist. Uh, churches. We've talked about that on the show. We, we talked about the whole social justice movement uh, in, in the last couple of years, a number of times on this program. And the reason we wanted to talk about that is because here's a huge ditch that Mr. Amor falls into, that once he jettisons scripture and and he, you, you, that the word of God is Jesus and we need to follow Jesus, well, how do you follow him? Well, according to Mr. Amore, you follow Jesus because because you have the Holy Spirit and you do what Jesus said, which is, you know, love God and, and love others, love your neighbor as yourself and do justice and, and feed the poor, etc. Well, how do you determine what that is? How do you determine what is loving God and loving Jesus enough? How, how do you know you've loved your neighbor enough? And that's the problem that I think that when we, when you have someone like a Tim Amore who wants to say that the Bible is a useful tool, essentially, but it's not the Word of God, now you've removed the authority of what God has provided to us, His written Word, His revealed Word, that teaches us how to follow Jesus. And the thing that I find interesting, Rich, is when, when I see something like this is I go back to what Scripture says. If you want to know what Jesus thought of Scripture, go to what he said. We have things like in Matthew chapter 12 when he, you know, he's talking up to the um when uh, that he's talking to the Pharisees and they're talking about the Sabbath. He says, Well, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and with those with him? And he's talking about the um you know, David going and eating the showbread, which was not for the, anybody but the priests. So he's, he's using scripture to address a, misunder, a misapplication of, this, uh, of the understanding of this, the law of the Sabbath by referring to scripture. Or he says, in, in following in verse 5, or have you not read in the law? That, the, uh, that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple violate the sanctity of the Sabbath and are guiltless. So again, addressing the issue of the Sabbath by pointing to the law that the priests could do work in the temple or in the, in, in the tabernacle and they were guiltless. And it, when responding to, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people today like to say, well, Jesus never said anything about 
gay marriage, right? We often refer to Matthew 19.4, where actually Jesus affirmed God's institution of marriage by saying, Have you not read that the one who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And again, referring to what, um, you know, what marriage was. Matthew 21, 16, where he's talking, where they're telling him, don't you hear uh, what these people are saying about you? And, and Jesus says to them, yes, I, yes, have you not read, referring to Psalms 8, 2, you have ordained that praise would come uh, from the mouth of infants and small children. Jesus repeatedly, repeatedly referred to the Old Testament and referring to himself, referring to himself Matthew 21, 42, saying, Have you not read in the scriptures the stone with the builders rejected? That was to be, you know, he you know becomes the cornerstone. Referring again to the Old Testament. How did you know Jesus was to be the Messiah? You look at what Scripture said. Okay, and at the I'm pulling this from uh, knowingjesus.com. I my apologies, I think some of the uh, translations are or, or it's various translations that they're using because I typed in, have you not read? But um, it, it's basically in each instance, he's referring back to the what is called the Old Testament, which is really interesting when we get into, to, uh, into the other half of this discussion today because some people seem to have a, a this Andy Stanley mindset of, oh, well, when the church was born, there was no Bible. Yeah, it was the old it's what we call the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. That's what you taught from well, that. That's what Timothy was taught under. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> I was going to say, building from that, when Paul in the Book of Acts, when Paul went to Berea, and he was proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, what was the first thing the Bereans did? Yeah, the Bible speaks that they they went to the Word to see if these things were true. What did they go to? They went to the holy writings. They went to the holy scripture. The thing is, a lot of these people, and I, you may have mentioned this, this one particular gentleman, if I remember correctly, in one of his posts was saying that the Bible is not inerrant anyway, and, it, and he was saying that it's not sufficient. But it just seems strange. Some of these individuals, they either want to completely do away with the Old Testament and then pick pick apart certain portions from the New Testament, mm -hmm. and that's all they ever talk about or preach on. And at the same time, they want to deny that the epistles by Paul are true scripture or true the, the true word of God. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we're going to create our own Bible. We're going to just take what we know of as the Bible today. We're going to rip all these different sections out of context and we're just going to create our own Bible, and we're going to tell God what he means by his holy word. Yeah. And sadly, that is what's going on. They don't want the true word of God. They want to read their own opinions, their own desires, and their own wants and wishes. They want to find that in the word of God, and if they can't find it, they twist it around to mean what they want it to mean, and anything that contradicts the true meaning of Scripture or the true meaning of a verse, they throw it out the window. And sadly, that's where we're at. And lack of reading the Bible, lack of going into the Bible to read and study it in prayer, and going to the Bible to read it to find what we want things to mean, and trying to find what we want it to mean, that is not true mm -hmm. Christianity. That's not truly 
studying the Word of God. Um, there was a quote, let's see if I can find it real quick, by Matthew McHagan. He said, if the Bible teaches you something contrary to your theological view, you change your view and follow the Scripture, which will never contradict itself. Amen. And I truly believe that. And people do not want that. They do, they do not want the Christ of the Bible. They do not want the Holy Spirit of the Bible. They do not want the God of the Bible. They want their own version of those things mm -hmm. to come from the Bible. And I, I think, sadly, especially in today's world, um, first, people are too far willing to accept anyone who claims to be a Christian. If someone claims to be a Christian or claims to follow Christ, the first thing is, okay, we've got to take them at, a, at their word. We don't need to ask them any questions. We don't need to doubt. We don't need to, you know, examine their fruit. We just need to take them at their word and be done with it. And mm -hmm. that's kind of the general attitude I've seen regarding the Asbury revival. Our brother Daryl Harrison posted today, sinners don't start revivals. God starts revivals and sinners respond. And sadly, of the things that we've discussed and read about and have written about over the course of this week, what we see going on at Asbury doesn't really fall within the parameters of, of, of biblical Christianity in a lot of ways. Now, there's a, there are many different angles and viewpoints that you could take and discuss on what's transpiring at Asbury, and if we don't have enough time tonight, hopefully we'll be able to do a short part two in the coming days. And one thing I'd like to look at is to approach this as a true Berean and approach it and compare it to what the Word of God says and examine the foundation that this Christian college is built on and what their pattern and what things have been like surrounding that college since its founding and look at some of the things that have come out of this movement. Um, I'm not going to give the name, but some, I'd say, not necessarily well-known pastor, but they have quite a few followers. And when I screenshot this to save it, it had only been posted about three hours, and it already had 235 votes, and it was a <laughs> one of those... Um, my mind went blank. It's not a questionnaire, but one of the oh, like little, what is it? Like yeah. The little poll on Twitter. And they were asking if, if people asking people, if they believed what was going on at Asbury revival is a genuine move of God. And only in about three hours, they had 235 votes and 54% of people responded at that time responded. Yes, it's legitimate revival. But my, my question for our listeners and something we're going to touch on briefly tonight is we're going to ask the question is what is going on at asbury is it biblical in in its practice is it a biblical move of god or does it seem to be more of a man-centered type thing and one of our listeners her name is leslie asked if we could explore the concept of of, of an awakening and a revival meeting in context of what's happening at Asbury. And to just briefly define that, first, <clears throat> excuse me, first the word revival is not in the Bible, and it is not a biblical context, it's not a biblical thought, it's not grounded in the Bible at all. 
it is a modern, not necessarily modern day, but it is a more modern type wording. And by definition, revival means a, a, an awakening, an interest in something, um, a period of renewed religious interest. And it's highly, and this is according to Webster's, an often highly emotional evangelistic meeting or series of meetings. So revival does not mean people are coming to salvation. Um, it means that people are taking maybe taking a new interest or a reinterest in Christ and in the Bible. But regardless of how you want to define revival, there is a biblical truth that must be understood that something that is being renewed or real reawakened is something that never existed to begin with as it pertains to these so-called modern day revivals. A dead man cannot be reawakened to Christ. Lazarus was dead. He was in the tomb. He'd been in the tomb for four days. Christ did not revive him. Christ did not reawaken him. Christ brought him to life. Lazarus was dead as a doornail. He was not coming out of that tomb no matter what anyone said or did. No matter how much they stood outside that tomb, that cave, that that stone that laid in front of it, no matter how many people stood outside of that door and sang, even if they sang from the bottom depths of their heart and sang in true praise to God, Lazarus would not have walked out of that tomb without Jesus Christ himself putting a new heart into that dead man. And that is what salvation still is today. It's Christ bringing the dead to life. It's not reawakening someone. It's not re-saving someone, as, as some of the supporters of Asbury seem to think that salvation can be lost and must be reattained. It's not a matter of rededicating yourself to, to Christ so you can continue in your salvation. And that is at the heart of a lot of the theology behind the supporters of Asbury. Um, you, it would probably take two or three episodes, but if you do some reading and studying on Methodists and the Wesleyan movement and the, I won't say full-blown five-point Arminians, but they have a lot of the Arminianist tendencies to where they believe in some form of sinless perfection here on earth. They believe in some form of, of having to do something to either maintain your salvation or to regain your salvation, which is more tantamount to the Roman Catholic Church than it is to the true Protestant way of theology and way of thinking. And I know it can get confusing for a lot of people, <clears throat> excuse me, especially people that have grown up in certain denominations and have grown up being taught certain things. But in essence, it goes back to the founding of what John Wesley and the founding of the Methodist church was the idea that free of uh, uh, this notion of free will and what we would know today as easy believism. Everyone that I've seen or come across that are just jumping up and down, clapping, supporting what's going on at Asbury, hate Calvinism. They despise the Puritans. They do not like discussions about hell and sin and God's wrath and judgment. 
they focus on man's choice. And I forget who it was, but put it like this. You can never rely too much on God, but you can always rely too much on man. And at the heart of what's going on in my belief and in my view and what I've read, I, that's what I see taking place. It really comes right back down to that old debate on how a person is saved. Is it by man's choice or God's sovereignty? Um, Spurgeon somewhat landed in the middle that if two things or two truths in Scripture seem to contradict one another, there is no contradiction. There's just a lack of understanding on our part. Yes, God commands everyone to repent and believe the gospel, but yet at the same time is through a sovereign work of God. And if it's true fruit from God, if it's true fruit of salvation, we will eventually see some growth of that fruit. Christ oftentimes talked about the fruit of salvation. He talked about the parable of the sower. And if anyone's at all acquainted with farming or raising plants, you know that you plant a seed, you nurture that seed, and eventually you'll get a sprout to eventually one day it'll finally grow and bloom and produce fruit if it's a fruit-bearing type plant. But we're talking about an event that has been going on about a week. Um, there's been some crying. There's been some reports of people supposedly repenting. But the question is, not so much what is going on now, but where will these people be at a year, two years, three years from now? Because I've seen no mention of what type of church these people are being directed towards if, they've, if they're even being directed to a church in that area for discipleship. People seem to forget this is a chapel on a college campus, and it's not a church. And I've seen no reports of pastors being there from local churches supporting and praying for these individuals and trying to disciple them and guide them and nurture them and talk to them and make sure that these are genuine fruits or genuine seem to be genuine workings or, or genuine evidences of salvation. I see none of this. All I see is one after another, a different college student, who's still wet behind the ears, and I'm sorry, most, I'd say 99% of these young people in these Christian colleges at 22, 23 years old are still wet behind the ears, and they're up there leading these services. They're not mature in the faith, and they're easily manipulated by other individuals, and yes, I will board it like that, and I'm not going to backtrack. You've got music services going on, people standing around sing singing and swaying and chanting, and the only sermon that I've heard referenced was the one that kicked this off by a young man who looked like he wasn't much more than 22 or 23 himself, that one of our brothers, Gene Clot, had shared a post of someone went through and counted the number of times he mentioned different things from the Bible. I think sin was never mentioned, and wrath of God was never mentioned. I think repentance was mentioned like once or twice. But these are the things we need to be looking at and examining as it pertains to what's going on at Asbury. What do you think, brother? I think there, there are a lot of truth in what you said there, and I think it pertains a lot to <laughs> why, why we're doing this particular episode. We talked about, you know, Mr. Amore's comments about 
how the Bible is not the Word of God, and that allows for this, you know, theological play-doh, because now the authority really be, lands in your own hands, and you're not held up to Scripture. You you can kind of claim that you know, hey, I have the Holy Spirit. I'm following Jesus. I'm loving like Jesus. Therefore, what I'm doing is right. But what do you have? to compare it against to determine whether what you're doing or saying is true. Now, in light of what's going on with Asbury, and I, I actually made reference to it and a couple other things in a post that I did on Twitter today, which is where I got... I, I still have interesting responses. I I got told I need to go to Asbury and just experience it for myself. Well, let's see, it, it literally just came up. Let me find it in the notifications. That I need to experience for myself, and it would change my life, according to this individual... Uh, I believe it was, yes, experience experience it for yourself without making so many assumptions. It just might change your life. This revival is going to sweep the earth. A billion soul harvest is coming. Interesting. Um, interesting that they can know how many people God intends to, to save. Um, the reason that this episode addresses these uh, the, this issue is because now we're looking at... Um, at the other side of the equation, so to speak, where in one hand we have an outright denial of the scriptures as being the word of God, denying its inspiration, its inerrancy, its uh, sufficiency, its infallibility. On the other side is now we have a problem where with responses like the one I just read to you, literally just came up while Rich was talking. We have a, a denial of the sufficiency. These are individuals that I genuinely believe, and I'm not just talking about people at Asbury, I'm talking about people within broader evangelicalism, within the professing church, who would say the Bible is the Word of God. Yes, we need to read the Bible. Yes, God's Word is, the, is Scripture. They, they would absolutely affirm, affirm that. However, in practice whether explicitly or tacitly, it is a denial of the sufficiency of Scripture. So I want to read what I wrote to you today. This is what, at last check, let's see, this still blows my mind, nearly 88,000 views on Twitter. I don't know how that's possible. That's absolutely bizarre to me. I'm not that interesting, and what I write isn't that interesting. But apparently this caught fire. Um, now, for those of you that have asked like a bunch of times, how did you write such a long post on Twitter? I did an $8 experiment. <laughs> I subscribed to Elon Musk's Twitter Blue because they started this thing where you could do a 4,000 character limit. And anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that I'm not pithy. <laughs> okay? I'm not good at a one or two tweet post Look, I've spent 24 years writing reports where I make an argument to a certain end. I, I make arguments, okay? I, I build upon an argument. And so that's not easy to do on Twitter. So when they offered this opportunity, I talked to my wife. She said, yeah, let's give it a try. And we forked up the eight bucks. So I, I wrote, instead of a 10 or 12 or 15 post tweet thread... I did a single post that's multiple paragraphs. So I'm going to read this to you. Um, so now you know how I did it. Um, Scott Aniel uh, over at G3 was rather amazed that there was a tweet that could be this big. That's that's uh, had that question multiple, multiple times today. So this is what I wrote. 
It is my confirmed conviction that the attitudes we see in Christian culture regarding... Stop right there. Rich, what did I say my conviction is regarding? The attitudes in Christian culture, right? Correct. Okay. I just want to make sure everybody hears this. I established a context. The attitudes that we see in Christian culture... I'm addressing how we, as professing Christians, respond to certain things. Every single one of these individuals who called me everything but a son of God utterly missed that first sentence. <laughs> okay, Utterly missed it. Let me get back to the tweet. I just had to point that out. Reading comprehension out the window. So, uh, it's my firm conviction that the attitudes we see in Christian culture regarding Asbury shows such as the Chosen and evangelism campaigns like He Gets Us have a common deni denominator. The denial, be it tacit or explicit, of the sufficiency of Scripture. In each instance, any effort to demonstrate discernment, to examine these issues and see if there is biblical truth to any of them. Again, I didn't address any of the content of these three things. I'm addressing the response to wanting to be discerning about them. So to examine these issues to see if there is biblical truth to any of them is often met with anim animosity, scorn, or ridicule, or a combination of all of them. And to everybody who said, I don't know, see where you're getting that, you need to read my other comments today. These things have been have become something of a golden calf within modern evangelicalism and any attempt to biblically examine or question their warrant for Christian use is equated with questioning God himself. Why is this? I believe it boils down to the idea that scripture simply isn't enough for many professing Christians. Studying, understanding the true meaning, and determining the application of the scriptures is time and mind-consuming work. It is not flashy or adrenaline pumping. It doesn't give us instant gratification, but forces us to examine God's word and what it means. It requires us to measure ourselves against it as the standard. It is laborious, but rewarding beyond measure. I want to stop right there. To every person who said, oh, the only thing you can ever do is read the Bible. You didn't even read this paragraph. Going on. Yet, in our 24-7 world, where access to any kind of entertainment or information is merely a mouse click away, we think the scriptures themselves simply are not enough. We need something more, something visual, something experiential, like the individual who said, I need to go experience. We need something more, something visual, something experiential. We think that the world will not come rushing to Jesus unless we give them glitz, glam, and feelings of euphoria. We then look to outside the scriptures, for our answers, Madison Avenue style advertising, Hollywood storytelling, and top 40s music charts certainly draw in the crowd, so why not adopt these ideas? If even if it even brings one person to Christ, let's do it, right? Wrong. Yes, God can draw a straight line with a crooked ruler, but that is not what he has given us. His command is not to woo or emote people into the kingdom. It is to make disciples. It is to proclaim the whole of the gospel, to preach on the sinfulness of sin, the just wrath to come, and the only means of escape through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This message doesn't scintillate the senses, but it brings about conviction within the heart. It doesn't produce immediate emotion that can be led and manipulated, yet it will produce a result. 
either conviction that brings about repentance and faith or the continued hardening of an already rock-hard heart against Christ. The difference is in what or whom we trust. Again, there's my context. When we look to the Asbury-style events, the TV shows and media campaigns, we trust in our own cleverness and the ingenuity of man. When we do the laborious work of studying scripture to show ourselves approved, we show we trust in God and his word alone. We trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to regenerate and transform. We are not the means of salvation. We are merely God's instruments as he does the work through us by the proclamation of his word. Why do some of us call these movements and campaigns into question? Quite simply, because we wish to be Bereans, comparing the claims of these things against Scripture to see if they be true. When the rest of the progressing Christian culture gets up in arms about this, and boy did they get up in arms, simply remember that where they would rather trust is in the means of man, we are looking to God and His Word alone as the true means of discipleship. Now that was the post that is basically like the shot heard around the world as far as my meager offerings go. Um, it's one of the most fast-rising tweets I've ever done. Um, I, I I cannot explain it. it you know, I do not understand what catches on and what doesn't. This one caught on like wildfire. <clears throat> so the reason I want to address this is because Rich and I, as, as we kind of joked about at the beginning of the show, all the names that we've been called, the number of comments that have come in that didn't that are angry with what I posted absolutely one proved my point and two showed that they are not demonstrating actual biblical discernment that they are actually sold out to this idea that we need something more just like the individual who says you should go experience it for yourself first off that individual could not have read what I said because I made no assumptions about Asbury you guys just heard me read it Secondly, the very point I made is that he says you need to experience it. It will change your life. And it is the it is now the thing that will cause a billion souls or a million or a billion, I forget which one, souls to be saved. Now, Rich, this is the uh, this is utterly undermines scripture when we say you need to experience this rather than saying you know what, it's not a bad thing to examine what you know, what's happening here. In fact, let me show you what's happening, and let me show you how it's scriptural. I mean, that would be a, a, a biblical response, right? Absolutely, brother. Um, but aside from people's opinions, aside from the comments about you need to go experience what's happening in all of this, let's look at, let's take a moment and look at what is being what is transpiring at this college? Who is leading these worship services? I have a question for you and for the listeners, and of course we know the answer. If someone was a current star in a, an adult pornographic film, would any sane person that claimed to be a Christian, would they allow that individual to stand up before a chapel or a church and, and preach and provide a sermon? Say that again. Which part? All of it? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know if it was me or if I missed something that's on me, guys. I apologize. I'm going to have them repeat it. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Would any true Christian or even someone who professed to be a Christian, 
would they allow a current adult pornographic mm. movie star, That's would they allow them to take the stage at a chapel or a church and present or proclaim a sermon or anything pertaining to the Bible? I would certainly hope not. I absolutely would certainly hope not. But that in itself is similar to what many, many, many reports I've read of things that are going on at the Asbury Revival. Now, it's not a pornographic adult movie star, but it, it involves individuals that are embracing and practicing sin that is condemned by God himself. Um, one of the more precise posts I read, um, it, it pertains to a gay student at Asbury who is actually leading some of these services. And this individual went on to comment, the last name was Drake, they went on to comment that the intent of this, if you want to call it revival, the intent of this revival and this Christian college is more about inclusion of minorities, including women, people of color, and queers, their words, and are pushing for a more affirming and inclusive church. Now, anything that was a true work of God, a true work of the Holy Spirit, would it involve someone who is practicing sin, which is lawlessness, as defined by Christ himself and in First John, sin is lawlessness. And I'm not talking about someone who's fighting or struggling against a particular sin. Someone who is openly embracing a sin condemned by the Bible, and yes, same-sex attraction, homosexuality, is condemned by the Bible. It is a sin of sexual immorality. Would God honor such a sermon, or, or would God honor such a worship service? Basically, would, if you want to use the context of the Old Testament and Elijah and the strange fire, would God bless the works of demons and false gods? I, again, I would say absolutely not. And the reason I would say that is because we have Scripture that tells us he won't. Now, like you said, we know of brothers and sisters that were at a particular event or belonged to a particular church that we know that's not biblical, that actually were saved during some particular service. Mm -hmm. But they were saved in spite of what was going on, not because of what was being said and what was being done. Today, people are so bent on wanting to put their faith in emotions and feelings instead of putting their faith and trust in Christ himself. They, 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 they go with their heart, which the Bible says is desperately wicked above all things, they let that lead them instead of submitting to the Word of God himself. And on top of everything else, let's look at that college itself. Let's go a little deeper besides what's going on. And, you know, what I was sharing, there have been multiple reports of these same-sex attracted or gay Christians, whatever label you want to put on it, of different ones leading the service or part of this worship band or doing this or doing that and all these other things. And yes, Todd Bentley was present. I don't put a lot of 
I don't put a lot of um, assumptions one way or the other just because he was in attendance. I do find it interesting that someone such as Todd Bentley would be posting how comfortable he is there and mm-hmm. be talking about what a work of the spirit it is when this is an individual that drop kicks a woman in the face yeah. in the Holy Spirit, which that in itself is another problem altogether. Yeah. But everything else aside, this is a quote-unquote Christian college. They are interdenominational, interdenominational, which means they are ecumenical in their practice, which means if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to follow Christ, you can attend this college. It doesn't matter whether you're a Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Roman Catholic, Anglican, Presbyterian, Southern Baptist, you know, whatever. That goes back to some of our earlier discussions over the last two or three years about ecumenicalism and partnering with those that are promoting and proclaiming a false gospel, which we are forbidden in Scripture from doing. My, my question is, at the basis itself, I would say that Asbury Christian College is not based on the Bible itself because they're openly embracing and bringing in all these things. They're training up women to go out and to be pastors. They're training up individuals that claim to be same-sex attracted. They're training them up and sending them out to be pastors. There's a difference between Asbury Christian College and Asbury Theological Seminary, but the standards of both overlap, and what's going on in one is going on in the other. That's something people do not seem to understand. But the problem is people that are jumping on board supporting Asbury also support these other things. They have no problem with ecumenical-type services or endeavors or missions. They have no problem with women being pastors. They have no problem with the continuation of of signs and wonders and gifts and and things that you and I both believe are unbiblical. But the question still goes even deeper. What is this college teaching? What is their pattern? What is their history? And I know that we're already running a little bit short, so I don't know if I'll go on to the deeper part of this in examining Asbury itself, but I would like to point out one thing in these last few minutes. Uh, A brother on Twitter made a very good point. Anytime there's a true work of God, if you want to call it revival, there's one thing that remains certain. It is never a scheduled event or planned out by man. You cannot schedule when Christ is going to move upon a people. You cannot schedule when Christ is going to bless a service with the Holy Spirit. And if you think you can schedule that, then your problems grow far greater than whether you think Asbury is a true work of God or not. You've got some very, very, very bad delusions in itself if you think you can tell God what to do. But they pointed out that revival is not a biblical term, and even if it were, by the definition we try to give it, you can't plan it. You cannot plan when God is going to bring revival upon a people. And he said that since Asbury, he's seen other college campuses and churches plan out their own revival for the next couple of weeks or months based around what is going on at Asbury. That in itself falls outside the boundaries of Scripture. You cannot plan. It's like saying, okay, 
I plan on my wife being saved next Tuesday afternoon, 2.30 p.m. We cannot do that. And if you think you can, those that have called Chris and I being judgmental, well, guess what? You're being judgmental, but you're judging in the opposite direction. You're judging when a person can be saved. That goes beyond Scripture, and that is forbidden by God, whether you claim someone is saved or not saved. You can be guilty of judging someone in a positive and in a negative. But the fact that they try to plan these revivals and they say, we're going to, the Holy Spirit's going to appear here five o'clock Tuesday evening, two weeks from tomorrow. You cannot plan when and how God moves upon a people, can you, brother? No, you can't. And I think that's really what we're trying to get at here is this is what biblical examination looks like. It's when we're, when we're going to the scriptures, when we're saying that we need to be doing our discipleship from the scriptures, when we examine these things from the scriptures, this is what we're looking to do. The idea that you can schedule a revival, schedule salvation, schedule a move of the Spirit. That's not a biblical concept. You know, Christ made it clear, you know, when he's talking to Nicodemus, the wind goes where it wills, you don't see it, but you know, essentially, paraphrasing, you see its effect. We preach the gospel according to Scripture, God saves whom he will save. You know, um, I'm going to put the... Uh, the episode in our show notes, and I'll, I'll throw the article in there as well. Gene Clyatt, I think, think you mentioned him earlier, had talked about this this Asbury revival, as it's been called on his show, Squirrel Chatter, this last Tuesday, and talked about the breakdown of the things that had happened, at least up till that Tuesday, and how it started off. And the, the, the sermon, as, as you had mentioned earlier, which had supposedly kicked this off, and there was no gospel preaching in it. There was a, you can't love unless you love like Jesus loves. And so basically, try and like invite you to, you know, to, to be loved by Jesus or, and to love Jesus. And that's really the sum of the, the sermon. It was a typical kind of squishy evangelical sermon. It, it wasn't a, an exposition of the passage. It wasn't... Uh, an examination of what sin is, what what it costs, uh, you know, you know. Then, in other words, uh, you know, the wages of sin is death, the 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 eternity of of uh, torment that you you know you will deserve in hell through God's righteous wrath, the the beauty and the glory of salvation in Christ who took sin. That none of that was expounded upon, and yet what then happens is this kind of ongoing worship service. And there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of praying, there's a lot of singing, and some maybe some Bible studies here and there. And in the mix of it are things that, as you just said, Rich, that are concerning, at a minimum, it's concerning. You know, claims that, you know, Justin Peters shared, you know, the, a post from somebody who says, you know, that, you know, queer Christians were leading worship from someone who's there and says that he's watching this happen and saying it, it's a good thing. So for that, that's an example, as Rich was pointing out. So when we say 
that when we prop up these type of events or prop up something like The Chosen, which has a lot of uh, biblical issues with it, when we prop up something like, uh, and I, I used He Gets Us because that's the, the big one lately. Um, we prop these up as if they're big, important things that we need to support. And and the, the clear, repetitive statements to my posts today were essentially an ongoing, how dare you? Why would you criticize this? Why would you attack your fellow Christians? You heard what I wrote. I never attacked anybody. I called into question the ide ideology of that we must lift up unbiblical or pseudo-biblical efforts, or that if if someone is saying we should lift them up, that that then I then I said it's a problem that we're not allowed to examine it. Why? Because we've abandoned the sufficiency of Scripture. Very much like Tim Amore, who says. That inerrancy is an um, is is a terrible heretical doctrine, and Jesus is the Word, and, and the Bible is not God. So therefore, quit. Which, and by the way, while we're talking, I had yet another person. I'm a Christian, not a Bibleishian. I'm not kidding. That would that came up. People are not hearing what's being said. We, you know, the just like Tim Amore, who who can now create Christianity in his own image. You have people who are saying we can promote something that we don't have to argue from Scripture if, if it's biblical or not. It, it's close enough. We say it's a move of the Holy Spirit. You have to accept it. We say this is good enough. It draws people to Christ. You have to accept it. I'll, I'll tell you something. I, I was saved by a Christian. I will not by a Christian fad. I was saved during a Christian fad. You know, everybody remembers the Left Behind series that was in the, the 90s and early 2000s. I was an avid fiction reader. I read that book, the first book. I got saved because there was a sliver of a gospel message in one portion of the book that had more to do with somebody missing the rapture because of his sin. But there was enough of it in there that went, you know, that reflected to me sin, judgment, and apart from Christ, I was in trouble. It wasn't the Left Behind series that saved me. It was that there was a sliver of a gospel message that God used, that crooked ruler, he drew a straight line to my heart and said, repent, turn to Christ. I read many of those books. I watched some of those movies in my early Christian walk. I was a big fan. I went to a Left Behind conference as a as someone who has now walked in with Christ since September of 2000 so 22 plus years which is small compared to some others i recognize there was nothing about that fad that saved me it was the gospel message it was god in his righteousness, in his sovereignty, in his time and, and place to draw me to himself with that sliver of a gospel message. It had nothing to do with the end times. 
and the the fictional stories, which has huge theological issues, even if you believe in premillennial dispensationalism, because there are many problems. If you believe that, there's so many problems with that book series. It had nothing to do with that. It had had everything to do with that little sliver of a gospel message. Well, if that's what God used to save me, then I didn't need a Christian fad to bring me to salvation. I needed the gospel. And that's what we're, the whole point of that, that thread was. The understanding of the word of God. That it calls us to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That we are to bow the knee in humility. Face to the ground, confessing our sin and turning to Christ as Lord. That's scriptural. That's what we need to hear. That's what everybody needs to hear. The idea that never in any of that did I say that if God does an amazing work, that we can't rejoice. Never said that. Never in it did I say that Christianity cannot inspire art or even entertainment or music. Never said that. Never said that Christians couldn't compile their resources to reach as many people as possible with the gospel. Never said that. But that's what everybody heard. Because what I said was, and what I would say to Tim Amore, who's on the other side of this coin, but in the same kind of ditch, is that everything you do must ultimately come under the authority of the word of God, which is scripture. Apart from scripture, you don't know what Christ wants for you. How do you discern that it's the Holy Spirit moving on you as opposed to a bad piece of pizza from the night before? Rich referred to Asbury Theological Seminary. There's a video that was shared on Twitter today, broke my heart, of a woman who is a professor and a pastor at this seminary who says that here's how she heard God's voice telling her during the worship at chapel to go open the door and just hold it open. And that meant she was to be a door opener for a, a, a door person for God, which meant she was to be a pastor. Utterly disregarding scripture. Utterly disregarding the qualifications of a pastor. God will never tell you to do something that's contradictory to his word. Never. That's what Tim Amore would have you believe. Scripture's not really God's word. So what God puts on his heart about justice and loving his neighbor and caring for the poor, that's, that's Jesus. Well, that's the same as someone who says, man, if everybody's singing songs and praying, that's revival. It doesn't matter if the gospel wasn't proclaimed fully. It doesn't matter if people aren't broken over their sin. It doesn't matter that there are questionable elements such as heretics coming in and feeling completely comfortable there. People coming in who are identifying themselves as people bound up in their sins, such as homosexuality, and yet becoming part of this and possibly even leading worship? No, you can't say that. It's a move of Jesus. Why? Because of the experience. 
No, you can't say that out about the chosen. It's just entertainment, but it leads people to Jesus. That's the problem. We are less concerned about the, the, the truth of Scripture than we are about how does this impact or how does it feel. Look, if you watch The Chosen as a TV series, I don't. you're not going to hell. But a Mormon, a Catholic, and a, 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 an evangelical can all watch it and find it fine. The creators of it say tons of poetic license. But we stayed within the boundaries of theology, except our scholars are Catholic. The guy who creates it makes nods towards Mormonism, even in the comments that he makes about the show. But that doesn't matter. It could lead people to Jesus. That doesn't matter because some people, well, they're kind of Bible illiterate, and this is a, they're visual learners. These are things I've heard today. These are comments that I, were made to me on my Twitter and Facebook posts. And they wonder why that message has been looked at 88,000 times, I think, now. Let me, let me look. I, hate to, I, I don't like tooting, making it, saying it this way because it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn. But I, I just... It, almost 90,000. Oh, my word. This is unbelievable. Um, why is it being looked at so much? Why are so many people resonating with what it said? Because it contains biblical truth. It points us back to the scriptures as our sole authority. Not arts, not entertainment, not feel-good worship services. It is the word of God that constrains us. I, I love what a, a brother uh, said to me in response today uh, to, this, to this particular post. Uh, Colin Smith, I loved what he said. In response to what I wrote, he says, yes, and there's also the implicit idea that Scripture is too restrictive. If you only follow Scripture, you can't do X, Y, or Z thing you want to do. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And he follows it up with this last line, which is, which is exactly why we need Scripture. Scripture confines us, constrains us, keeps us within the boundaries of what God has called us to do. Nowhere in my post did I say, read the Bible and nothing else. Don't look at commentaries. Don't, don't exposit the word. Don't look at application. Don't look at what the interpretation is and therefore find the application. I never said any of that. I never said that, that, that it can't inspire certain things. But I said it. We have to be contained by it. And that, I believe, Rich, is what is offending people. Because, as Colin said... You're now restricted. To, you can't do X, well, Y, or Z thing that you want. Well, absolutely, brother. And that goes back to Christ is either Lord over your life and heart or your own sinful, sinful wishes and desires are Lord over your life. We're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Christ does not provide a third way within that. You're either saved or you're not saved. You're either in the light or you're in darkness. Um, and I know we're closing out, so I'd like to invite our listeners to join us the next time we record, because 
we're going to examine the foundation of all this, whether it's built on the Word of God or whether it's built on sand or rock or sludge, because there's some things that's kind of in the background as it pertains to Asbury that I think our listeners should, information they should be provided to help be a brand themselves and to dig in these things a little deeper. Some old articles that I came across this afternoon while I was reading and looking over it. But um, as we close out tonight, I'd like to provide a couple of quick thoughts. Um, First, true salvation is granted by Christ through the proclamation of his gospel truth and not some seemingly spontaneous spontaneous regeneration that just erupts out of nowhere at a chapel. And what I've seen, everything around that chapel service has been fueled by strange fire, by music, by chanting and crying. And none of those things are true evidence of the Holy Spirit working. And someone asked me that um, if this wasn't a true work of the Lord, would we be seeing these type of results? And the, and the answer is yes, we could still be seeing these type mm-hmm. of results because if truth is not proclaimed as the Lord defines it, and and we're seeing results no matter how they may appear, actually could be honoring Satan and not God because the Bible talks about false signs and wonders. And I'm sorry, I could rent a local coliseum or a local high school stadium, invite people in, and I can reproduce the results that you see happening at Asbury. Just because you see results and you see people being stirred emotionally does not make that a true work of the Holy Spirit. I could spend an hour talking about the psychology behind emotional manipulation when it comes to some of these movements. Because at one point in time, for a brief period, I was part of one and was taught how to use lighting and use music and to put plants within the people to get them started and get them to crying and chanting and singing and getting it to catch on and other people getting wrapped up in it. Those tactics can be used and are still being used today. I'm sorry if that rubs you the wrong way. That is just the absolute truth of the matter. Amen. You see some of these same results going on in within the Muslim community in the mosque. Does that make that make it a true work of God? You can see the same types of results going on at a Metallica concert. Would you call that a true work of God because people are getting excited and they're getting pumped up and they feel great and some are crying and just overwhelmed in tears? I can remember watching some Elvis Presley concerts where women, you know, eight to 12 rows deep on the front row are just breaking down, crying and screaming and yelling and chanting and just oohing and on all over Elvis Presley. Would you call that a work of the Holy Spirit? You have to stop and examine these things according to Scripture and determine whether or not it is actually of God, by God, through God, according to God's Word. Just because you see results and you see emotions does not mean that it's Christ working behind the scenes. It could be Satan working behind the scenes because the Bible makes it clear he often appears as an angel of light. Christ himself in Matthew seven twenty one through 23 talks about, I'll 
say to you on that day, did we not cast out demons and do many signs and wonders in your name? And I will declare to you, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. If those signs and wonders and casting out demons were not of Christ, who are they from? Because if that's the indication of salvation, then Christ is disobeying his own word by telling them to be gone. They're not truly saved. Yeah. And Christ, it is impossible. People ask and have asked, is there anything God can't do? Yes, there is. He can't lie. He can't go against his own, own nature. He cannot act in a way that's contrary to his own attributes. Amen. And closing out, I'd like to share a couple of quick quotes from John Maynard from a couple of different books. The first one is, to pretend to possess truth, but not, but not, but not allow it, that sovereignty do, it is indeed to reject it. Let truth rule your judgment, will, and affections in all things. Is from truth the great business of our times. And the other one, if you please yourselves in your own conceits and vain imaginations that are contrary to the wisdom of Christ, believing that it is an easy thing to go to heaven and that you hope to be saved in the end, although you are carried with the stream of the world, the tide of your lust, the wind of Satan's suggestions and applause of the multitude, Assure yourselves that you are rebels against Christ and are on the path to eternal destruction. People, the world has been reporting, applauding, and talking about what's going on at Asbury. If this was a true work of the Holy Spirit, if this was a true work of God, the world would not be applauding it. It would be despising it. It would be hating it. They would have the local law enforcement agencies there trying to shut it down. Think about it. When in the Bible or when in the history of Christianity has the world ever truly applauded a true work of Christ? And I'll get into this more next week. They, there's a lot of them that's been comparing what's going on at, in Asbury to the Great Awakening in America in the 1800s. Well, one result we saw during the Great Awakening, we don't see now. George, Whit George Whitfield was open-air preaching and preaching about sin and judgment and righteousness. And what was it? He had a dead cat thrown at him, a bull let loose on him, and multiple other things. The world rejected what he was preaching. The world hated what he was, re what he was preaching and proclaiming. I don't see the world hating and rejecting this. In fact, I've seen many a politician coming out supporting it. Um, there's been articles in the Washington Post, NBC, CBS, all the uh, all the other major news outlets, and guess what? Not once was there ever anything negative stated about what was taking place at Asbury. Yeah. For me, that in itself should be the biggest red flag ever. When the world is applauding what a church or a church Christian college is doing, when the world is applauding it, Instead of hating it, that is one of the true evidences that what's being done there is not a true work of God. Because Christ said, the world will hate you because of me. Am I right or am I wrong, brother, and as we close out? No, absolutely. You're spot on. You know, it's funny. I was talking about uh, our, our brother Gene Clyatt's podcast regarding Asbury. And he referred to Denny Burke's article on uh, that he published 
on February 11th, um, just earlier this month, uh, entitled Some Thoughts on the Asbury Revival. And he refers to Jonathan Edwards, who was preaching things like sinners in the hands of an angry God during this time. And here's how you apply biblical truth to examining something like what we eventually called the Great Awakening. Some people call the First Great Awakening, then they say the Second Great Awakening, which was, that's yeah, not really an awakening, but we'll talk about that another time. But he, he gives five tests, five evidences of a work of the Spirit, Scripture evidences of a work of the Spirit. And those five tests are, one, it raises the esteem of Jesus Christ in their eyes. Like it, That is the sole thing that they're looking to. Two, it operates against Satan's interest by doing what? It's discouraging sin. Think about what we said about some of the people at Asbury who are leading or participating in these events. Three, it causes men to have a greater regard for what? The Holy Scriptures. The very thing we're talking about. The sufficiency, the inerrancy, the inspiration, the infallibility, that they have a greater regard for the scriptures. Today, people are angry if you say we should examine this by the scriptures. For it is a spirit of truth which convicts them of gospel truth. And five, it is a spirit of love toward God and men. Jonathan Edwards wanted to examine what was happening according to the scriptures, scriptural evidences. This is what he wrote. This is what he said. This is how you can know if it's a work of the Spirit. And today you post a thing on Twitter that says, I find some scriptural problems here and everybody loses their mind. Brethren, May it be that what matters to us most is the esteem of Christ in our eyes and we have examined all this according to his word. Our hope for this episode isn't so that you feel bad about Asbury or that you feel, gee, there's there's some terrible things out there and we really need to go after all these terrible things and tell people how, how bad it is. Our, our hope is to say, go to the scriptures. Know the word of God. And then examine according to it. And be not deterred by people who simply want to say, but, but, but. That's our hope. That's what we hope encourages you with this episode this week. I think it would be good, Rich, that we do talk more about what really is going on at Asbury in maybe our next episode or one of the coming episodes. Uh, I think it would be good to talk about those things because there are some, you know, if you're watching what's going on, if you're paying attention online, you hear good things and then you hear some bad things. So which one is it? How do I know? I, I think it might be good 
to look at some things that Rich brought up. He's got several articles that, that I'll, we'll put them in the next show that we do this on that talk about the history of Asbury and, and some things that make you go, hmm, is this really a move of God or is this manufactured? And some, some of the things that are concerning that other brethren have pointed out. It's not that we don't... You know, I, I love what my brother Samuel Say said in his article. He was saved at a false revival in a prosperity church where a woman was preaching. Hey, you, brother. You can still be saved in a bad environment. That just doesn't mean you celebrate that bad environment. Yeah, go ahead, brother. I just want to put a teaser out. Um, as Chris said, we'll discuss some other things surrounding this and examine the foundation but I'm, I'm going to leave a quote hanging in your ears and let it rattle around until we are able to record again. <laughs> um, there, th this is a quote. I'm not going to reveal when and where or who yet, but the quote stated, The Lord Jesus walked in Hughes Auditorium at Asbury College last Tuesday. Think about that. Yep. Yep. That's, that, that's an official radio tease. So we will we'll pick this up again next time, but take uh, your, our takeaway for you on this is go be a Berean. The, be a Berean. Go to the scriptures. Examine all things through the Word. And when somebody tries to tell you, as they have said repeatedly on this post, oh, you're just denying it, you know the move of the Spirit. Oh, you're just you didn't, you know, all you want is Bible only and nothing else. Oh, you're you're just you know you're restricted. Oh, you're a Pharisee. Be encouraged because that is the very point that my article or not well i guess sort of an article twitter post was making <laughs> microblog microblog that's the, the word the, yeah that's the, the word I is think now that's what, it's, that's what they call I it now that's isn't it the new word. and for the record <laughs> if what was going on at asbury was taking place at grace community church with john MacArthur. I'd be questioning it. I'd yes. have the same response and same answers and Amen. same thoughts, no matter where the location. If if the exact same thing taking place at Asbury was taking place on a chapel at the Master's College or the Master's Seminary with the same environment, the same situation, the same setting, the same people involved, I would have the same exact objections as I have right now. It's not the location that I question. It's, it's what's actually going on itself. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, folks, for spending time with us this week. We really appreciate you. We are so grateful uh, each and every time you guys tune in. If this has been helpful for to you, we always ask, number one, consider sharing it with somebody. Um, this is a tumultuous time when so many different things are being discussed. And we want to encourage our brethren to be Bereans, to be students of Scripture. So maybe this can help them. Uh, secondly, if this program is helpful to you, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can go to theslavetothking.com and you can message us. You can comment uh, via social media. You can comment uh, directly on Podbean. We'll get some kind of notification. If you have an objection or a question or uh, you don't like what we said, we don't have a problem hearing from you. However... Before you start typing those keystrokes, go to the scriptures. Draw out whatever it is you want to the argument you want to make. Draw it from the scriptures and draw it in context. If that does not, you know, clear the matter up for you, then write to us. 
Because if your argument is going to be, well, you're just squelching the Holy Spirit, or you're just a Pharisee, or you're uh, denying the work of God, I don't wish to be rude to you, but we're, we, we've already covered that in an hour and 27 minute episode. So you're welcome to send it, but we've already discussed it. We're not going to get into an argument with you. I'm just going to make that clear right up front. It, again, you are welcome to send it. I'll read it, but I'm not going to get in an argument with you. So hopefully beyond that, this has been helpful. Hopefully we are being a blessing to you in some capacity. Thank you so much. We look forward to speaking with you guys next week. God bless you. Good night. We'll see you then.